Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are two accounts of the Beatitudes, which is a fancy word for blessings in the Gospels. One in Matthew is known as the Sermon on the Mount, and one in Luke is known as the Sermon on the Plain. In each version, Jesus gives a sermon that declares a series of blessed are statements that upend common assumptions of who is blessed and who is not. There are similarities in the gospel writer's versions, and there are differences. Matthew's account has nine blessings. Luke's has only four, and they are paired with four woes. Blessed are so-and-so, but woe to so-and-so. In Luke's account of the Beatitudes, Jesus has just come down from the mountain where he'd been praying all night. He has just called out from the many disciples, 12, 12 disciples to be his apostles. And he comes down to a level place, the text says. Jesus comes down to be eye to eye with the crowd. He's not above them, and he doesn't speak down to them. There is a leveling taking place that is characteristic of Luke's gospel theology. In Luke 4, which was the subject Pastor Ian preached on two weeks ago, Jesus gave his first sermon in his hometown synagogue. He read from the Isaiah scroll and revealed to them what he was called to do. Preach good news to the poor, liberate the captive, give sight to the blind, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. His sermon didn't go over well. What they first considered to be his words to be amazing turned into a bitter pill to swallow. So they responded by trying to run Jesus off of a cliff. His offensive sermon made them squirm that day, and his message still makes us squirm a little. Are we the ones now being challenged? And if so, how do we respond to this hard message? Why do we so quickly close our ears and defend our lifestyles so that we don't have to sit in the discomfort of the message and the reality it is trying to convey? In our story this morning, Jesus is fulfilling his mission in action. It all takes place amidst a crowd filled with people in need of healing from their physical and spiritual illnesses. From all over the region, from Judea, Jerusalem, the coast of Tyre and Sidon, the text says the multitude of sick and lame and blind and poor have come to him. It was like the United Nations of the wounded parading toward Jesus, seeking healing from this itinerant preacher. With the power he'd been given by God, 
he heals every one of them. Jesus here is speaking directly to the poor about God's blessing upon the poor. And it's difficult to imagine in our 21st century ears just how radical his message was. So here's a contemporary setting in which we might get a glimpse of the impact it had on the people. So imagine that the level place where Jesus and his disciples are standing is the back parking lot of the Park Hill United Methodist Church. And Jesus and the disciples are at the gate of the safe outdoor space. Now, if you don't know, the safe outdoor space, or the SOS, was the managed campsite set up last June behind the Methodist Church and was up for six months. Inside the camp was 54 igloo tents housing about 50 people who otherwise had no place to sleep and had no safety. Imagine, this is the setting in which Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you revile you, and defame you. Jesus' words are jarring. His words shake the foundation of all his disciples know to be true about the way the world is actually arranged. The rich are on top. The poor are on the bottom. The poor are certainly not blessed. But in Luke... Jesus is fulfilling his calling as the one who brings the fullness of God's message of good news, of the prophet's message in the Hebrew scriptures. The reign of God is not like any kingdom they've experienced. In Jesus himself, a great leveling is taking place before their very eyes. Jesus doesn't only speak about the reign of God, he embodies it. He embodies the inverted power of God entering the world, power that is to be given away to those who do not have it. Remember Mary's song of praise when she met her cousin Elizabeth back in Luke 1? She sang about God's radical leveling. Her words warned that the high places would be brought low, the low places would be raised up, and the full would go away empty. So what does authentic blessing mean? Remember the familiar scene from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol? My favorite version is The Muppets, and I'm sure many of you would agree. Ebenezer Scrooge is looking through the window into the small house of Bob Cratchit on Christmas Day. And Scrooge observes the love and warmth of the meal of the Cratchit family around the table. They were a poor family, but they were rich, full of love and joy and laughter. And that finally transformed 
the rich man's empty heart. Our daughter, Sophie, when she was 15, went with the church youth group to Nicaragua, and they went to help with reforestation projects in rural um, areas. And they worked side by side with the people of Nicaragua, of the villages, and as you can imagine, the kids came home very impacted, very shaped by their experience. And it wasn't because they helped needy people. It wasn't the poverty they saw, Sophie said. It was the kindness and the joy they experienced in their hosts. Like so many who've been in close proximity to the poor, what is jolting is the undoing of our assumptions about what blessedness looks like. The people our youth were visiting were poor in material possessions, yes, but they were rich in love. The Nicaraguans' hospitality and generosity toward those kids transformed them in lasting ways. They saw a new definition of blessing. Now, perhaps you're on social media and you are familiar with the use of the hashtag For those of you who are not, it's what we used to call a number sign. The hashtag placed before a word or phrase signifies content-driven data, like a theme or a subject that people are talking about. The hashtag blessed expression has been used millions of times on Twitter. Blessed seems to have replaced the words lucky or fortunate. It most often implies material favor, money, power, or similar signs of success by the world's standards. Now, growing up, I heard one too many sermons by men in nice suits telling parishioners to name it and claim it. That is, name the wealth God has in store for them and claim it as their birthright. In what is known as the prosperity gospel movement, God's blessings amount to increasing one's net worth. There's plenty of these preachers still preaching this message. And it's difficult for us as European Northern Americans to imagine there's another way to feel blessed. It's nearly impossible to decouple blessing from wealth or status or being well thought of, all the things Jesus warns against in his sermon. Why have we been so blessed? It's a sincere and honest and authentic question I know many of us ask, but it's also a problematic question because the, it, the question implies that those who do not have material wealth might not be blessed by God. And we have all sorts of responses to these inequities around us. We can deny the truth of the inequities, of stark inequities, or we can get angry and believe that we deserve what we have. We believe we've simply worked harder than have others. But what if instead we consider that most of us started out with a few bonuses. Rather than hashtag blessed, 
we could think of ourselves as hashtag privileged. Consider the advantages one freely receives at birth if one was born with white skin or male or a U.S. citizen or in a good zip code or in a two-parent household or in an educated family or a family that valued education or you went to college or you got a job through networking or you married into a higher socioeconomic class, etc., etc. That's called hashtag privilege. It's not hashtag blessed. It's nothing to feel guilty about or shameful about. But it, it is something we need to acknowledge if we want to begin to understand what Jesus was saying, this radical message of the gospel. In fact, the shame and the guilt we feel only creates separation and more distance. It creates an us and them. Jesus cared most about the sick, the distressed, the poor, and the despised. And the antidote to separation between us and them is our humility and our gratitude. What we have achieved in our lives is not because God has blessed us. What we have in our lives is not because we deserve it. What we have or don't have are not rewards or punishments. They're consequences. They are consequences of the privileges we did not entirely earn. So what are we to do? Jesus was clear. God's kingdom is one in which forgiveness, humility, gratitude, and generosity reign. Jesus' message was radical, difficult, uncomfortable because he knew that the well-being of the rich is interconnected with the well-being of the poor. They're inextricably linked. The level place is where we all meet in our humanity, in our equality, as beloved children of God. So in this good news he preached, in this good news of liberation, Jesus sets us all free, free to be hashtag humble, hashtag grateful, hashtag generous, and hashtag blessed. So be it. Amen.